Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for being here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today because I've got a great guest. I always get great guests, right? This is Chris Barron. He's with AgView Solutions. Before AgView Solutions and Chris Barron get to talk, I want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Harvest Profit Ag. Harvest Profit is a software solution company that helps your operation become more profitable. You know, the inputs and the and the outlays and all the stuff that makes your farming and ag enterprise a business, you need you need the right software. So look at harvestprofit.com and my man Nick Horrible set you up. You can even get a 14-day free trial. This episode of the Business of Agriculture is a video as well as an audio. So wherever you get your podcast. You can also go on YouTube. It's the Damian Mason channel and you can watch me and Chris Barron talk. He's got a good backdrop. He's a, you know, he's a sharp dresser. You want to see this rather than just listen to it. Chris Barron, welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's great to be here, Damian. All right. So we're going to talk about the farm economy. That's the thing I, I probably should have said up front. We're going to talk about the realities of the farm economy. So uh, we've got a bunch of money being thrown at the farm economy from the federal government, which yeah. of course uh, happens a lot. You know, there, there was always some level of uh, crop insurance uh, subsidization. We've got, uh, you know, some farm payments, you know, they go to the FSA office more this year than years past. About $37 billion is what I'm hearing and reading is going to be thrown at the farm economy from the federal government. But also, you're going to give me some reality and some numbers and how things look. So 2020 moving forward, let's talk about the farm economy. Well, uh, appreciate that. I guess the, the farm economy, I'm going to relate it to 2019's weather. 2019, we had just all kinds of issues thrown at us, tons and tons of problems with planting, tons and tons of issues just during the growing season, and people couldn't wait for 2019 to be over. Then we get into this economic fun of the commodity prices really being uh, under pressure this entire year. COVID hits, it affects ethanol, it affects all kinds of things that have a direct impact, you know, whether it's on the livestock side of things or on the crop side of things or on the specialty crop side of things. It's kind of nailed all of us in agriculture. And so it's it's been a really trying year and I think people can't wait for 2020 to be over. Uh, and so having said that, you know, to bring up what you started to talk about, I think it's real important to understand that, um, you know, when, when listeners that you have on this podcast that are not ag oriented understand that part of the government money or their tax dollars that come to us as producers is not something that's additionally profitable. It's not extra profit dollars and cents. And I'm not saying anything to anybody that's in ag that doesn't already understand that. But I think it's real important, first of all, for me to make that comment, just because um, we work with producers, with AgView Solutions, we work with producers across the entire United States and in Canada, and we work with business um, decision-making, we work on cost production, we work on transition planning, work on collaboration, succession planning, all of those kinds of things. And we get to see 
all of these farmers' numbers. We get to see their cash flow. We get to see what they're really dealing with. And when we look at the government payments that came in, and let's go back to 2017, 2018, and 2019, we started to get what was called an MFP payment, a market facilitation payment, which went primarily to row crop operations. And I'll use that as a specific example to start with. That money or those, those dollars that came in were uh, to kind of offset a trade problem that we had obviously with China uh, when we got into a sort of a trade war. Well, those dollars and cents basically kept most of the producers whole. And by most, I mean most. There's a few producers that that still came up short because the commodity prices were so affected um, to buy that. And so um, I guess what I would point out is, is we, we're seeing dollars and cents dumped into the equation again this year. I think it's gonna keep farmers whole. Um, but I think, you know, as we move forward, um, you know, I'm not sure as a farmer that I wanna to continue to live off of government payments. As producers, we really want the, the free market to operate correctly so that we can make a living off of, off of what we produce and, and what we market rather than having the government subsidize us. You know, I've been hearing this for a few years, but the truth is I've been hearing it for my, almost my whole life because the reality is, and it's not because we're being mean, it's just, the, and I'm not, I'm not judging. It's just, it's been going on. You know, I'm 51 years old. I think you're a touch younger than me if I'm not mistaken, but you- um, I'm actually older than you. Oh, well, you see, you just- I'm 54, so I've got to be- I thought, you were like, I thought you were like one or two years younger than me. Okay, so you're 51, 51. So we're old enough to know, okay, I'm a government cheese. Uh, I'm a payment in kind program. And uh, I know that if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me talk about it. In other words, I've seen federal monies being thrown at agriculture since the first time I picked up uh, a, a, the, the latest edition of the Indiana Prairie Farmer magazine or whatever ag publication I saw when I was a little kid. It's been going on for a long time. Um, the, the issue though, uh, that you're talking about. And by the way, I should say that Chris Barron has a company called Agview Solutions and he has peer groups with uh, producers uh, and, uh, and information sharing, if you will, and uh, helps their business. And also he's a farmer himself. So you, you get all this. All right. So we've been throwing money at it. And I know that when the first MFP installment came out, then I saw the people, the farmers took to Twitter and said, I'd really be able to sell my soybeans and have to go and get this MFP payment. If we didn't have this trade war with China, they'd be buying all of our soybeans. We wouldn't have. I said, well, that's not really why soybean prices got low because they were still buying soybeans from somewhere on a global marketplace. And we are after all in a global marketplace. We just have a glut of soybeans, but a lot of people don't understand that because they struggle with economics. But when you talk about these tranches of money, MFP, then uh, your normal payments, and then also the PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Program. Some of these farming operations got that. Uh, what's 2021 look like? We're gonna, have, we're gonna have less federal monies being thrown at the farm economy? That's a good question. I think it's gonna, it's gonna have somewhat to do, I think, with um, the administration that is in that that is in there at the time. Um, I think it has a lot to do with uh, what we see with commodity prices and what we see with inflation. Um, there's a couple of key things there. Uh, and then I also think it has a little bit to do with how much money can the government afford to spend? We continue to spend trillions and trillions of dollars and we're also a taxpayer. You know, so I really, uh, as a taxpayer, I really don't want to be 
spending money that if we don't have to spend it or if we can spend it more intelligently, I'd rather spend it more intelligent, intelligently through some sort of a risk management protection or some sort of avenue that way as opposed to you know, just, just throwing the money out there. But having said that, I will tell you that as we look at 2021 and we, and we do that with, with our producers, we look at cost production, we roll uh, where they're at with their current crop 2020, we look at 2021, it looks a little bleak right now. However, you know, as we speak here today, uh, we've seen we've seen a pretty decent strength in in the marketplace. Uh, commodities have strengthened. Uh, I think more so on the food side of things. I think the funds are starting to look at the opportunity for possibly inflation and the food side of things. I think there's just some dollars starting to flow into that. If that occurs and dollars flow into that commodity sector. Um, I think there would be a lot less need for any kind of government uh, assistance. Um, we have already in place a PLC um, program and an ARC program, a price loss coverage, and, uh, and the ARC county um, that some people have. And I think that in and of itself may be enough. Um, Chris, you're doing that thing. You're doing that thing where you're pretending that everybody that listens and watches this podcast know what a PLC and an ARC is. Why don't we go ahead and just, because I have friends and followers that are listening to this so they understand the business of agriculture. And it is, after all, the business of agriculture podcast, which is brought to you, by the way, by Harvest Profit. Again, if you have an agricultural enterprise and you need a software solution that will help you manage your inputs, your outputs, the fields you farm, the, the entire operation, you need a software solution that helps you become more profitable, more streamlined. Go to harvestprofit.com and try it out for 14 days for free. Okay, let's start at the beginning. All right, we said we're going to talk about the farm economy. And unfortunately, for as long as I've been around, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has been an integral part of what the farm economy looks like. Because, as I point out in my book, Food Fear, which is all about the business of food and agriculture, the United States Department of Agriculture founded in the 1860s, Abraham Lincoln called it the People's Program. And what did that mean? It meant it was all about feeding the people. The United States Department of Agriculture has a policy. They want cheap and abundant food because a cheap, abundant food supply means that the American people are well-fed. God knows they're well-fed. Go to Walmart in Huntington, Indiana. We're replacing those electric scooters with full-blown SUVs. Trust me, they're fed. But here's the thing. We do that because also a well-fed populace is a strong populace and also a generally non-rioting populace. Well, that's not been exactly true the last couple of months. Um, U.S. Department of Agriculture has been throwing money at agriculture for a long time. And they do want to make sure that the economy is, if it's not good, that it's at least propped up. I don't see it ever changing. But... Um, you tell me about these programs that you said would be enough, meaning we're extra heavy on programs this year, but you're saying these other programs that are put in for uh, what they about five years now. Yeah. I, and, and that, and I would imagine that we're going to see some changes going into next year too. Um, again, I think it has a lot to do with the administration that's there and, and what the house and Senate looks like. So tell real quickly for these listeners, what are those two programs? You call them the PLC and the ARC. I know what they are, but my listeners don't. Well, the, the pr uh, price loss coverage is to essentially maintain um, a certain profitable level or a certain price level. And the ARC is based on the, the ARC or ARC as it's called is to keep your price level and your yield level. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a, 
try to think how I want to explain this. It's sort of like in a revenue protection. It's kind of like an insurance coverage level to give you sort of a floor in the market so that you know that you'll stay above that floor. Um, that's kind of a general way to describe it. And, and to say that that's sufficient is to say that, you know, if we see commodity prices back to where you can, you know, back to levels that maybe we saw in say, 2008 to 2011, basically, you know, kind of normal levels. We've been subpar since 2013, specifically in the commodity markets, um, significantly lower than we, we typically would be. And so um, that's what's really been difficult. I mean, we sit here when we work with clients and we look at the working capital that a lot of our producers have most of our operations that we work with, which are high level producers have been burning through working capital. They've been burning through their cash because they're not maintaining a profitable level. They're just kind of holding things together from one year to the next. And so okay. one, one of the things that people tune in to the business of agriculture podcast for is they like the fact that I don't just sit here and nod my head and agree with everything my guests say, especially if they say something that I disagree with. And my friend Chris Barron right here with AgView Solutions just said something that I hear a lot of people in agriculture say. He's letting his farmer show through when he says, if we got commodity prices back to normal like they were between 2008 and 2011, I would say that no. Those were abnormal years. Ag super cycles, where there's a bunch of money getting made in commodity production, is the abnormal year. It is the absolute fluke. It is the right. is not the norm. What we have right now is oversupply, and right. that's what's normal. Because yeah. for about the last 100 years, we've really been managing for oversupply. That's what the USDA wants. They'd rather have 3 billion bushels, you know, 300 million bushels of soybeans left over than to have 300 uh, shortfall. So we manage for, we've managed for abundance. And what that really means then is, and we've been doing it for as long as I've been paying attention, we've been doing it. And every time I talk to my farm friends, I say, well, if we get back to normal, I said, well, wait, wait a minute. I said, this is normal. Uh, the payment <laughs> and train program in the 1980s paid farmers with corn to not plant corn. The idea was we would double burn through the corn. We'd get it not planted and also be paying with it. Uh, another program, the one that you were before, the PLC and the ARC, uh, was what they called the uh, LD, uh, LDS, right? Loan LDP. LDP. Loan, loan deficiency payment. They called it a loan deficiency payment. Now, here's the thing. They called it a loan. But for my little business, when I go and get a loan, I have to pay it back. If you got the loan deficiency payment from the United States Department of Agriculture, you'd have to pay it back. It was really a price floor. It said, we're going to pay you so much for production. And the truth is, price floors don't work in a true economic sense. However, they keep farming operations producing. And if you feel that that is what the role is, is to have a bunch of food supply, that's the reason we do it. So I... Uh, and to to tack on to you and agree with with your your criticism or your critique, I would say that that you know you could take it even a step further. You know, it's back to keeping food prices low. So you know, if we really wanted to, and I'll speak as a taxpayer now for a minute, uh, if we just didn't even step into that realm or very limited stepped into that realm with government payments, I think that would be. Uh, a very interesting direction to go because you would allow then the free market 
to determine and and it wouldn't necessarily be a, a situation where every farmer would maybe survive or the majority of the farmers would survive a, a difficult economic challenge to the point where you know the low cost producer the producer that's the most efficient those best producers then survive then obviously we would see high quality productivity come out of those who survive and we don't just sit there and, and prop up the bottom third, which, you know, and that, that's speaking as a taxpayer. So I can talk, I, I would talk out of both sides of my mouth there too and say, you know, there is a whole other side of that because I think land, you know, you look at land values as an example. Uh, we look at where cash rents are at. Cash rents are, are significantly higher than they should be. And part of the reason they're higher than they should be is a portion of that government payment ends up in the landowner's um, pocket and it goes right through the farm, right to the land. And so it's artificially holding, um, holding some of these positions up. But from an economic standpoint, there are a lot of farmers that would be in trouble that have a, a decent equity position right now that if those dollars weren't flowing through there, their equity position would would drop dramatically too, and so sometimes I wonder if there's there's not only you know economic annual economic support, but there's there's a an industry support there that a portion of that goes to the land, and I'm not sure that's right or wrong. I just as an observation, it's it's good for somebody like me that owns real estate out here in the in the hinterlands, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you could make the argument that, uh, and again, I'm as pro-ag as anybody. And so uh, if people want to send me hate mail, they can. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just talking, frankly, uh, you know, here's the reality. If I owned six dry cleaners, uh, people are not going out uh, and dressing up. Hell, they're not even going to work. They're just sitting at doing a, working at home in their pajamas. Okay. Uh, all of a sudden, I don't have any revenue. There is no program that is going to guarantee me revenue. Now we did the PPP, but that was a different deal. And it's something that's never usually done. So agriculture has a unique thing in that every year you can about figure that there's going to be a guaranteed amount of revenue through the United States Department of Agriculture. Chris, some people listen to this are not as good with the economics or agricultural economics. You used a term that I want to make sure you clarify. You said some of these farming operations are burning through working capital because we're talking about the economy. Right now, they're not in a real flush uh, situation in terms of even specialty crops. You know, the COVID made it so that the salad bars aren't open. So if you're growing tomatoes or lettuce or carrots, you're, you're selling less of them right now. It's a true story. Vegetable consumption has gone down because most people eat their vegetables, if they do, out at a restaurant. So it's not just corn and soybeans we're talking about, everything. And then you said some of these farming operations, their asset position is okay because they own land. Equity position. Green bins or whatever. And you said they're burning through their working capital. Tell our listeners what that means. So what we've seen as a trend that's been occurring since about 2014 is where we, we started to see the trend um, where producers' cost of production went up when the commodity prices went up during, during the time frame of about 2011, 2012. We got commodity prices way out of whack, way too high. Well, what happened at that period of time is machinery and equipment, for example, accelerated in, in, you know, inflation on new equipment and used equipment went up almost about 7% in, in a two-year period, 7 to 8%. Um, so did fertilizer, so did seed. A lot of things went up at the same time in concert with commodity price rises. 
Well, when the commodity prices came back down, a lot of the other prices stayed higher and have come down slow. And one of the primary ones is land. Back to the land for a minute, the land rents and machinery and equipment and seed and crop protection have been slower to come down. Fertilizer came down quicker because it's a commodity. So it, it dropped at a faster rate. And so consequently, um, to explain working capital and where those dollars went is the cost of production didn't come down as fast as the revenue did. So there's a, there's a vacuum taking cash out of the bottom line for the farm operations. And then that's occurred for, you know, in a lot of operations we look at six or the last six or seven years, we've seen a deficit of cash going out. So at the end of the year, they may have cash flowed okay, but their balance sheet is showing a negative each year. And that negative is because the cash is, is going, going out the door faster than it's coming in the door. So they're burning through held assets. Yes, that, that as well too. And that's another thing is, you know, we, we see one of the challenges we see for the farmers that are listening is, is a lot of producers have not been updating machinery and equipment. Consequently, your cost of production goes down when you have less capital invested in machinery and maybe they're done making payments, principal and interest payments are no longer being made. So now all of a sudden when they look at their cash flow at the end of the year, they think, well, my cost isn't as high as it was. Well, the problem is there's an inflationary component to replace that machinery is gonna cost more every single year. And so if they don't take that into account as part of their cost of production, all of a sudden you're, you're behind the game now when we've seen some farm operations run on machine, the same old machinery for six or seven years because they felt like they weren't able to, to update anything, but at the same time thought their cost of production came down when in reality, their cost of production is the same if they want to stay current and replace that machinery. So now they look at a piece of equipment, maybe they paid 300,000 for it five years ago. Now the salvage value or the trade-in value is say worth 150,000. So it depreciated 150,000. The problem is, is that $300,000 piece of equipment five years ago now costs 400. Mm -hmm. So the trade difference is 250,000, not just, not, you know, it's not just 150,000. So it's a lot more than what, what people are realizing. So that's a trap that I think a lot of, a lot of producers are getting into as well. So that's another area where I think cash has gone away in a way that you haven't written a check for it, but it's a cost. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting uh, because, uh, you know, say a non-ag person might be listening to this and they're saying, man, these are some big numbers. Well, they are big numbers. And, you know, I've always kind of said the production part of it, it gets to where we're, we're just good at that. I mean, we've been amazingly good at it for a hundred years. We've been in surplus territory for most everything we produce, truthfully. Um, we're good at the production and we got that pretty well dialed in. Then to be, to stay alive, you've got to then be good at the business side of it. And, uh, you know, I, I can even reference farm people that I know when corn was $7 a bushel. And I said something along the lines of, I don't know, man, can you justify feeding your steers $7 corn? And they said, ha, but it isn't $7 corn. See, cause I raise it myself. <laughs> I said, Oh, so there was this, this ridiculous concept of looking at money 
and they somehow thought that it wasn't $7 corn because they had produced it. It only cost them back then, say, $4 a bushel to make it. And so to them, they were, they were feeding $4 corn. And I said, no, it is $7 corn whether you produced it or not. And they never quite grasped that. So I just see some of these things. You work with farming operations. The people you work with are pretty progressive-minded. I don't suppose that they have that. But it's one of the many lack of economic awareness, I guess, I have seen among some people in our industry. That's exactly why, um, so we work a lot with producers on business structure to tackle exactly what you're talking about. And we still see that, you know, we, we still have, have had that in our operation until just some recent years, um, where when you look at each portion of your business, each portion of your business should be identified as a profit center. And so what we try to do is help producers and business people look at each segment of their business and say, okay, how do we isolate that portion of your business? And so, for example, it might be their trucking, you know, that might be an LLC, it might be its own business, their machinery and equipment should be isolated in its to, into its own business. And then, for example, those two entities then would invoice their operating entities of whatever profit centers they have so that that way they know exactly what the cost structure is for each of those portions of the business, or it might be a livestock portion, or maybe they own car washes or, you know, something that's even not ag related, but some external business all needs to be in separate entities. And, and you're right. I see that occasionally where we'll start working with a producer and everything goes through one checkbook, you know, and it, it just boggles my mind because you have to, you have to isolate these things into their own compartment so that you can see where the, where the costs are, and be able to do the accounting accurately and more appropriately. Talk about the farm economy. We talked about the government stuff. Uh, okay, here we are, it's fall. Uh, everybody gets excited about fall, it's harvest time, whatever. What's really, what's, what's it look like? Um, you know, uh, what, what's, what's, what's the feel out there? You work with agricultural producers, what's the story? I think there's a lot of optimism. I mean, we're eternal optimists on the farm. Um, the, the biggest challenge and the most heart-wrenching thing that I've seen all year, I think, has been where the derecho went through the center part of Iowa, and we saw a lot of farm operations become just devastated in a couple of hours. You have a video that you sent to me, and I know that people would like to see it, because Chris Barron here with AgView Solutions, he's an Iowa farmer, he's an Iowa-based agricultural business person, and he works with farming operations, so he's got a pretty good finger on this whole thing, on the pulse of this whole thing. You put a video out, and it showed the devastation of crops. I think you shot it with a drone, and then in the background of the interview, there were grain bins that looked like the, a giant had just come along and, and, and mashed them with his hand. Where can I see that? So uh, the AgView Pitch, we have a, also have a podcast called the AgView Pitch, and then we're on the on YouTube, the AgView Pitch, and you can you view our videos there. Yeah. So about the derecho, go ahead. The most heart wrenching thing you saw. Yeah, and and so one of the the key things that I think is very important um, for all of us in business, whether it's agriculture or any other business, to think about is what what does our risk management plan look like, and um, one of the things that always scares me when I sit down and work with farm operations and some very advanced thinking operators is maybe having some gaps in their insurance coverage that they have not thought about. And that always is a, is a concern and something that we see pretty regularly where, you know, people don't want to be overinsured, but conversely on the other side, you sure don't want to be underinsured. And so for example, where the derecho went through, 
you know, there are situations where, you know, a grain facility, they may have it, you know, they may have a grain facility insured for, you know, $600,000, but to replace that same grain facility that was maybe, maybe erected, you know, 10 years ago, now is maybe a million three. And if they haven't insured for 600,000 and they have it on their balance sheet for 600,000 and it's gone and they get that money back, but now what do they do? Because they don't, they can't replace that. They don't have enough insurance there to do that. And so replacement coverage insurance is something, and I don't sell insurance. So I'll say that right away here, but, but you know, having replacement coverage on, high capital investment items, I think is really critical. And we see a, a lot of times people really underinsured. Um, one of the other things too that we, we've seen is, um, this isn't really with structures as much, but a lot of times we see in transition too, um, where producers are transitioning from one generation to the next. And that's the perfect time for the exiting generation and the older generation to buy um, some term life insurance on the exiting partner. I was just uh, in a farm operation here a few days ago that 72 year old farmer called me and he's looking at possibly transitioning with another farm now in his area because he had a 48 year old successor that was going to take over his farm that died of a heart attack uh, this last summer. And so, you know, you, you think the older person's going to be the one that's going to go, but what happens if the younger person is all of a sudden out of the equation? And so there's just, I think from a risk management standpoint, you know, we can talk about the economy and all kinds of things, but so often there are all these what if things that you think will never happen, yep. you know, whether it's, you know, updating your will to, you know, thinking through all of these, you know, scenarios. And the derecho I think is just a, is a really good example of, something that can come out of nowhere, a black swan that can come out of the middle of nowhere that you haven't planned for. And, you know, how, how can you handle that? Can you tolerate that, that, that impact? His name's Chris Bear and his company's AgView Solutions. You can go and check out his website and I encourage you to do so. He's a smart dude. And you know what? He's a fan of my books too. That's the thing we really That's like right. about him. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by my good friends over at Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit, you can check them out online. Um, Nick Horb, the founder of the company, has a really good presence on LinkedIn in particular. And you can go there and check out his blogs. He writes blogs about the business of agriculture that are very informative. So check out harvestprofit.com. And it's a software solution that will help you run your agricultural enterprise more profitably. Uh, okay. Last thought. Last thought from Chris Barron. But before we hear from him, Another thing I want to tell you about, I started a thing called the Business of Agriculture Success Group. So if you listen to this podcast and you follow my stuff, imagine going a little deeper with a small group. It's about 40 people, 30 people uh, that are online twice a month for the Business of Ag Success Group. It's a business outlook advisory networking community for ag professionals. If you are interested in something you would like to be a part of, go to my website, sign up. It's only 49 bucks for the first month. I think you'll learn a lot. Okay. Chris Barron, closing thoughts, farm, economy. What are you seeing? You already told us. Government programs, you talked about it. We only disagreed once. I think we're probably okay. I don't think it harmed our relationship. What else you got for me on the way out the door? Farm economy. Well, I, what I go back to always is, is really, you know, you know, you talk about harvest profit. Um, we use a tool as well. I think 
really knowing your numbers and sitting down and, and, you know, we do a podcast and we call it dad's wisdom. We bring in the, the senior operators of a farm and we talk about their wisdom. You know, what did you learn? And one of the things that I, I always hear from the, the older producers is know your numbers, crunch your numbers, um, do your accounting, spend some time on the business. Um, one, one way I like to put it is as farmers, I'm, I'm very guilty of it. My wife gives me a bad time because I want to go out and mow a waterway or I want to go out and wash a tractor or something and I'm doing the $10, $15 an hour jobs. We have to stop and sit back and look at what we do in the next couple of years as we go forward and ask ourselves, what are we doing in our business? Are we doing the right stuff? Are we doing the $10 an hour jobs or are we doing the $100 an hour jobs and stay focused on that? And I think I think it'll all work out because I don't think it matters who gets elected. I don't think it matters, you know, what happens in the economy and how people get along or don't get along. We're in control of our own environment and we can be disciplined and work on your business as much as you work in your business. And I think everything will work out just fine. His name is Chris Barron. Check him out. AgView Solutions is his company. I appreciate you being a guest and I appreciate your closing thoughts. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Damien. Do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do that. I'm up. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.